Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey friends, welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host Damian Mason. Here's where we talk about issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, and fiber. Got a great show for you this time because I've got two great guests. This is Leah Bunkers sitting to my right and sitting across from me is Jim Petrick. He is a uh, livestock farmer. Uh, and grain farmer in South Dakota, and she is a sales rep in South Dakota. And we are at the Families Feeding Families event, an agricultural advocacy uh, group that was founded out of necessity because of the anti-agricultural forces that we all deal with. Title of this episode, of course, is Dealing with Anti-Ag Forces, dot, 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 in South Dakota. Who would have thought in the, the state that is not overly populated, not overly urbanized, and also it's the biggest industry in the state. So that's what we're going to be talking about with these great guests. I'm an hour and a half away from going on stage, so I promise you we will not let this episode go long. Before we get into the discussion, a reminder that the Business of Agriculture is sponsored by Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solutions uh, company founded by a guy named Nick Horb. He's in Fargo, but it doesn't matter where he is because he has customers in 26 states and four provinces. You should check out Nick Horb on social media. He's very active on LinkedIn, posting information you can use. But it's a software solution for your agricultural enterprise to make you be more profitable. And after all, it is a business, and that's why he sponsors the business of agriculture. Jim Petrick. Livestock farmer, grain farmer, 54-year-old guy, Yankton native. Now you are here in the second annual Families Feeding Families events where we're trying to make sure that the community understands the value of agriculture because of anti-ag forces. What the heck's going on? Well, it's it's nothing new, to tell you the truth, Damien. I mean, I hate to stretch too far back, but I can remember 15, 20 years ago, some friends of mine were trying to do a feedlot expansion and this little party of uh, opposition developed in the county. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, you know, we've got the Waterkeepers Alliance and these North Carolina and New York attorneys here in Yankton, and uh, and uh, a bunch of money got raised, and, and it cost my friends a million dollars, and, and they ended up having to change their plans. And, and uh, it took a long time for the farm community to... Uh, kiss and make up with uh with the non-ag folks here in the county but we've kind of been dealing with some of those same issues again here the last three years and it's just it's startling to me you know how well connected and how well financed our opposition is yeah i've got a chapter about that in my book food fear dear listeners if you have not picked it up i encourage you to do so it's available both as an audio and a hard copy at damianmason.com it's even an ebook but uh we talk about this because a lot of folks in our industry are almost like blindsided they don't understand that there are these forces that are going to come after them and i always point out i said animal activism anti-agricultural activism those things are a business for the nonprofit groups because they're not really nonprofit and a religion meaning it's a business for those that actually are the orchestrators and the bureaucrats and then it's a it is a religion for their followers so the followers donate money blindly believing they're saving pigs or some silly thing you know protecting the earth but uh, it's a religion for the devotees and that give the money and it's a business for the bureaucrats that create these organizations before we come back to you and hear about your operation Leah Bunker she's a young lady out of college Got a degree in what, agronomy and 
Um, I have a major in agronomy and minors in egg business and precision egg. And you're from Iowa. You ended up here in Yankton, South Dakota. You are a sales rep doing what? Um, egg sales. So I'm an agronomist selling seed, fertilizer, chemical, all the above, all inputs. And who are you doing that for? Valley Egg Supply in Gayville. Okay. And you got involved with farmers, uh, families feeding families because? Um, so like you said, I'm from Iowa and so it's crazy to me what's going on in Yankton County being from Iowa and being from Sioux County where it's like the top livestock producing county in the state of Iowa and it was just appalling to me how things are being handled with livestock production and agriculture in Yankton County. Okay, so you're from agriculture. Most of us that are in the business are from the business, but uh, this was kind of a a wake-up call to you. You're a little closer to it. You're not too far out of college. Uh, You know, you probably saw young people that were disconnected and said wacky stuff when you were in school. They would say things like, oh, those factory farms, and they mistreat those animals. So you've been around this. This wasn't new to you when you first got here, right? No. I mean, there's obviously all majors at school so everybody has their own opinion but it surprised you from the standpoint that there was uh happening it was happening in a agricultural community like this right and agriculture is so big so close to here and all of a sudden you cross a line and it's not a good thing anymore all right back to jim you um you were on the beginning okay first i'll talk about your operation people that are in ag like to hear about that you're a hog guy you're a beef guy you're a grain guy yeah, we, uh, my row crop friends uh, tell me that we have an old McDonald farm because we still have a lot of irons in the fire, but we do have a, a cow herd and we background some calves and we raise a lot of hogs and then we have a, another farm where we do swine genetics and sell seed stock and some show animals and, uh, and do corn, soybeans and alfalfa. Got it. So uh, you said 20, 30 years ago, you had friends that wanted to put in a feed yard. So they're trying to put in a feed yard and then all hell broke loose. Have you personally been impacted? Has your operation been impacted by animal agricultural uh, advocates? Well, you know, it's just really challenging. You know, we have livestock in this county and in the county east of us here in Clay County. And uh, I just, uh, I look back at like the last time we did a building, you know, it added a hog building at our farm and and the people that show up at these planning and zoning hearings and these county commission hearings are, you know, it's it's pretty crazy, the outlandish statements that they make. And, I mean, I think they believe them in their heart. But, you know, when people say, you know, this finishing barn is going to produce as much waste as the city of St. Louis or yeah, right, these right, cows right, are producing right. 50% of the methane gas in the country, you just realize that, Hey, we got to get organized and we got to tell our story because these guys are awful confused. So we like to we like to talk about in agriculture and I uh, if you listen to my stuff, we say you got to educate the consumer, educate the consumer, educate the consumer. Leah, is it possible to educate the consumer? Yeah, it's possible to educate the consumer, but sometimes they need a little more educating than others and I would say that it's possible, except that uh, many consumers don't care to be educated because, as we've learned here with the coronavirus, they go to the they go to the salacious, they go to the headline. If you said, uh, "How scared of you are are you of coronavirus?" it would be proportional to how much media they consume, and it would be, "Oh my God, we're all going to die." And you'd say, "Well, do you realize that 188,000 people out of a country of 330 million is only uh, four tenths of one percent, uh, or some you know ridiculously number like this? Four one hundredths of a percent, I think, is what it is." Um, so there is a, a fear thing out there, and I have also, also oftentimes maintained with my agricultural outreach 
that, yeah, I'm all about giving people the real scoop, but there's a consumer base, a percentage of the consumer base that just like they want to dial into fear, they want to dial into whatever salacious headline is, we're not going to educate them uh, is my concern. Do you think I'm founded in that? Or do you think I'm off? Am I just being bitter at 20 because I'm 51 years old and you're a young 20 something that says, no, we can still do this? No, I think there's people you're not going to educate, and I think there's different ways you're going to have to go about educating certain people, and we take we try to take different angles at different things, and hopefully at our event tonight, we educate a lot of people, and we let you educate some people about things as well. I'm going to say, too, Damien, that, uh, you know, what you alluded to earlier, I mean, we got this whole segment, and I call it, I coin it activism for profit, mm-hmm. and I mean, they are so ready to feed the folks that are hungry to be misinformed and hungry to be scared. And, I mean, they really make that a jagged deal to to try to address, don't you think? Everybody in our, everybody in our business is generally familiar with the humane side of the United States. If you are a listener or a viewer to the Business of Agriculture podcast, please share this with your non-ag friends, and I'll tell you why. The humane side of the United States is not what everybody thinks it is. They do not save, uh, you know, stray dogs or, uh, you know, take care of, uh, you know, feral cats. What the humane side of the United States does is they raise money and they raise a shitload of money. They bring in money from uh, from appealing to base level emotion. And by my research that I put in my book, they have about 250 employees and they uh, were sitting on uh, their annual budget was one hundred thirty five million dollars. So they are paid very, very well. They hire lawyers and they do public relations. They hire lawyers and they create a story. And then again, what that does is it brings in money. So it's extremely profitable. So you've got a bunch of uh, bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. that put out the story that uh, your hog barns are killing off uh, something, you know, killing off wildlife. Your hog barns are destroying the forest. Your hog barns are uh, polluting the waters. None of that is true, but that is the story they create. They perpetuate it. And then they say things like, well, we're out here protecting you, consumers. So, uh, and then they get devoted religious-like followers. So it is a business. And frankly, it's become even more of a business because once somebody sees this is profitable, it proliferates a little bit like uh, splinter churches. They say, wait a minute, I saw how profitable this religion was. I'm going to go and splinter off and start my own little religion. And now we're going to have it called the animal uh, the animal rights uh, movement. We're going to call it the uh, those for defending the animals. Or, you know, you just keep There's coming up with names. a lot of participants in that segment. There are a lot of them. All right. So, yes, that's, it is a religious uh, following for those that give the money. And it's also a business. Environmental Working Group is one that I talk a lot about that folks give a lot of credence to. They think that it's actually a group that's out there working for the environment. It's actually a group that's working against production agriculture. That's one of their biggest causes. And so what they do is they uh, create salacious headlines. They'll do their own studies. They're the ones that said, uh, told everyone that there was uh, Roundup in your kids' lucky charms. Right. So you now you created a, the villain is Monsanto and a chemical roundup that's been on the shelves even at Home Depot since the 1980s. And then you use the words kid in the headline, and then you say poison, and then you say lucky charms. And now you've also got General Mills brought into it because they're like, crap, we want to sell cereal. So now they get held hostage. So the way the business model works is 
You create the public relation and you create the media with a study. And it doesn't even have to be a well-backed study or a study that you, you would have worked on at your university. It's a study that their own people come up with. And it's got a shred of truth and it's usually got a lot of, uh, a lot of um, shall we say, uh, exaggeration to it. And then you put it out there and now you've just uh, found the common enemy, evil Monsanto, evil Monsanto. And then you attach it to General Mills, who says, oh, God, now we're being shook down. So what does General Mills do? They just want to sell cereal. And their board of directors are not ag people. They're not you. They're not you. They're not me. So then they just roll over and say, oh, well, I, I, what, well all right, you're right. We'll never have any cereal that's been treated with uh, uh, glyphosate. So that's the way the gig works. It's really an effective business model when you think of it because you are shaking down big corporate clients. And then you create the common enemy. So what I believe is happening here in Yankton is you're the common enemy. And so the group then will go to the town of 14,000 and say, it's Jim Petrick. He's out here and he's, he's polluting your air and he's using those nasty chemicals. And then what they'll usually do is then they'll tie in that you get payments from the government. The Environmental Working Group has done this amazingly well. The Environmental Working Group them will say, and you know what else about Jim Petrick? By the Freedom of Information Act, he got $87,000 last year from you to go out and pollute your resources. So then it becomes you're the common villain. And what they're really doing in villainizing you is, again, pushing their agenda, but also raising money. Sound like, does that sound like an accurate assessment? That's a pretty accurate assessment, I would say. And we haven't really had EWG yet here in yankton but uh they're coming <laughs> yeah and i just you know and i i got a cuss you know like a big challenge here in south dakota is a group called dakota rural action that has just basically opposed every progressive agricultural agricultural expansion? project of any sort dakota rural what dakota rural action yeah so and uh if you're, so, bored, if you're bored go and check them out dakota rural action and so and then you go up the the food chain and say well where else where's all that money coming from you know and some of it's whatever the ford foundation or this foundation or that foundation but you know what was really a kick in the teeth for myself here one of the the groups that donates it that donates to uh dakota rural action is my own Catholic diocese of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah, so you you are a churchgoer, and you give money to your Catholic church, and then that diocese then is funneling money back to Dakota Rural Action. So your own money is coming back to oppose you. Yeah, and it's not unique to South Dakota. I've talked to Minnesota producers and Iowa producers that are dealing with the same deal. Did you get in touch with the church diocese over that? I have not. I Actually, my feedlot friend did have that conversation, and I don't know where it ended, but... All right, we're going to go to Leah and ask her a question. Before we do so, I'm going to remind you that this episode, like so many before it, is sponsored by my friend Nick Horeb and the great company Harvest Profit. You can go on harvestprofit.com and sign up for a 14-day free trial, and I encourage you to do so. Harvest Profit is a software solution to help you run your agricultural enterprise. The ins and the outs. you got inputs. You've got outputs. You've got grain to manage. You've got fields. It's a matter of looking at all of your entire operation and keeping it all straight with a great software solution for you. Go to harvestprofit.com and sign up for a 14-day free trial. Leah, all right. Now, you knew that this happened, and then you said, I'm shocked that this is happening because I'm from Sioux County, Iowa, which I have worked there before. And it, yes, there's the, the biggest livestock producing uh, county in Iowa, which is a pretty big livestock producing state. And it struck you. But what I just described probably is a little bit more new to you because I have this idea that you need to be a certain about more wise to see that it is a business 
the business of opposing food production this does not happen in Ethiopia. This does not happen in Bangladesh. This does not happen in countries where the uh, half of the population is food insecure. It happens in the land of the affluent because you can bite the hand that feeds you. Have you ever thought about it as a business or did you just think this is a bunch of well-intentioned, ignorant people? Um, I mean, farming is obviously a business and that's like how Jim and how you make, make your living. But I've never really thought about you know, the naysayers being a business for them. And some of them, I think, are ignorant people. And that's just how it is. And but I've never really thought of it being a business. What do you think about my logic now when I said there's this not for profit organization, call it whether it's the Environmental Working Group or Dakota Rural Action, they don't pay taxes, they have employees that get paid good salaries. And for them to stay in business, what do they need to do? Raise money. So what is it now? It's a business. It's a business. <laughs> it's a business. Uh, what, what else? Uh, now that we're now that we're seeing that, the, and by the way, see, this is why you've got to share this episode, whether you share the audio or the video, with your non-agricultural friends, dear listeners, because there's a lot of folks. They're good people. They're in our industry, and they think that they're out there fighting the good fight for ag against just other folks that say, "I just think that you're, you know, you pull those needle teeth in those pigs because you're mean." Sometimes it's not even about that. It's about that behind the activist behind the behind the person holding the sign is probably a very well-paid public relations expert out of Chicago or Washington DC or New York City that creates the whole dialogue and then has those people as their marchers that's really what it is I I'm, I'm convinced of that so what else you got on that the person out here on the street in Yankton are they really just being used as a tool puppets um, I think some of them probably are, but I definitely think there's some that are just misinformed and don't know. What about a sense of belonging? Do you think that if I went out and marched around in front of Jim Petrick's hog operation, he wants to expand, and I went out there with 18 uh, people that are Birkenstock-wearing uh, anti-ag crowd, wouldn't I also gain a sense of belonging? Like, now those are my people. I found my people. My people are these people because they they want a better earth is that maybe part of it yeah i think so i mean everybody has their click and i guess if that's something you agree with everybody has their own opinion even if to somebody else it's the wrong opinion jim and i are about the same age do you think it'd be okay leah if we blame your generation for this problem because you know uh or or the baby boomers the baby boomers gave us the hippies and the protest generation and then the baby boomers gave us the millennials and the post-millennials you and i are sitting here underneath all that and we're like hey we're just all we did was work so can we blame you that's a loaded question (laughs) if i had to answer the question honestly i think my generation and the generation below us are clueless Mm -hmm. (laughs) clueless about everything or just uh food production um, that's another loaded question, but mm-hmm. about food production. I mean, I've had conversations with people at college about, you know, they don't like production agriculture and all that. And I'm like, where do you think your meat comes from? The grocery store. Sure. Where do you think your milk comes from? The grocery sure. store. All right. So you talk about educating. Uh, we, we're doing a certain amount of that today. But then also it comes down to it actually is a fight. And I'll, I'll point out on stage here this evening that ag fights poorly. Um, Am I right? Does ag fight poorly? Yes. Okay. You, you've been observing this for a while. Uh, your parents own an elevator. They weren't probably opposed, but imagine if they had been those evil chicken farmers that have all those chickens in those little teeny pins. They would have been opposed, right? So 
if you were going to go about fighting the good fight, how would you go about fighting on behalf of agriculture? Well, I started by, I mean, I work in agriculture. I also spoke at a county commission meeting. That was a new experience for me. And I tried to make good points towards educating and good points that how good agriculture is in our society and how much it's needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. I just, I'm just curious. So the, uh, the, the method you went with when you went in front of the county commission was you said. I prevented, or presented facts. Yep. Comparing states, comparing graduation rate, or graduation percentages, right. Right. and went along those lines just to point out the benefits of it. If you had to fight the good fight for us, besides joining farmers feeding, I'm sorry, families feeding families, what would you do? You know, I've been pretty involved for a long, long time doing activities like, you know, I did a program called Adopt a Farmer where once a month we would kind of do a little three-minute spiel talking about what's going on at the farm and telling kids, you know, a little bit about where their food comes from, and we'd send them to the larger towns in South Dakota. And, you know, I've, I've tried to interact. I mean, I get a lot of energy from dealing with kids, and I like doing that. And so, I mean, I've done everything from chamber of commerces to mm-hmm. third graders to whatever, but it's it's challenging because, you know, as farmers and agribusiness people, you know we're pretty ethical, yeah, and so <laughs> and we're up against we're up against people that are not necessarily ethical. In fact, they uh, again, uh, it's it's their business to to create fear and uh, stoke emotion. I think that what we got to do is uh, depending on who you're talking to. If I was in front of the Chamber of Commerce, I'd talk about the economics because they're business people. Uh, if I'm in front of a mixed bag of group, uh, I'd go to the emotion because humans are not factual; they are fearful. They are not logical they are emotional so i would go to the emotion about what uh what things like food choice uh these organizations are these organizations it's a business for them i would expose them so i'd go with the ease economic uh emotion and expose expose these groups for what they are like you said you get groups from north carolina new york that came to yankton south dakota years ago over a expansion of a beef feed yard what does that tell you tells you that again follow the money there's some there's some group that then they will use that as they they like to then not only they like to use their wins because when they get a win look what we did we traveled clear out to the sticks out there in south dakota and we won this case and there's not going to be that expansion of that beef feed yard we're protecting your water do you know that 90 percent of greenhouse gases come from cows not true but it doesn't matter send us your money and we'll keep that feed yard from coming to your town right so it's a fundraising business. Uh, all right. What have you learned since you joined Families Feeding Families, since you started Families Feeding Families? You know what? Well, what we learned was, uh, you know, there are a lot of good producers out there that just need, you know, they just need some encouragement and some coaching to be better advocates for themselves. And and it's been really cool to watch some of the young producers in our group really bloom and and get more visible in the community. And, and you know, we've had some small wins here in the last year and a half. And and feel like we're making a difference but uh you know like you say we probably maybe not our group per se but at generally as a whole in agriculture we need to fight and we need to we need to understand that this is the real deal i mean their their mission is to end us and until we start to take that serious uh you know we're going to be in trouble leah <clears throat> what have you seen in way of community support 
besides the agribusiness community, you know, we, we got that. Uh, you know, the the, hay mach- the the company that makes hay machinery or the, the facility down the road, farm, you know, farm lending, we usually can get them and their support. But then we get together and preach to each other. Uh, what about the community? Um, well, I've only been a part of this group for a few months now, and I organized the auction this year, and the donations of people that had nothing to do with agriculture, well, directly speaking, nothing to do with agriculture, this, their support and donations was amazing, whether it mattered to them or not. Got it. <clears throat> Moving forward. Moving forward. What happens? Does it get better or get worse? goals moving forward uh our our mission does it get better or get worse is there more opposition or less opposition i think there will be more opposition i think there's more opposition because it's become a profitable it's become a profit center you know humane society of the united states might have been the 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 forerunner they were the they were the microsoft <laughs> of the thing uh, and then a bunch of other companies said holy crap wait 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 we should follow that business model. Uh, it was really about the 1960s that they really started to make their run. And, uh, and when you think about it, it was the right time. There was the whole environmental thing, and uh, everybody decided that the earth was polluted. It's because of the evil corporations. So it just started working together, and then the anti-ag thing has really grown. When I was a kid, and Jim and I are about the same age, it was veal. And my observation is that it's really interesting, and there's a certain argument to be made that veal being kept in small little pens and not being allowed to eat, uh, you know, because they gave them that uh, nutrient-rich milk, but they never let them actually eat. I could actually see somebody saying, hey, I'm not sure I'm good with that. But that was the one that was protested back when I was a kid. You and I are about the same age. But then isn't it interesting that it's become everything? Go. (laughs) Everything. Like you say, I mean, and that's one of the – that's one of the arguments that we try to make whenever we get a chance to make it, you know, uh, to be out in public talk and is there's a rationale behind everything we do and almost everything we do is better than the way our dads did it. I mean, everybody has this romantic notion of the green grass and red barn. Oh, wait a minute. He didn't even, he talked about farmers needing coaching. I didn't coach him, dear listeners. You have heard me say this again and again and again. All this whole ma and pa kettle and red barns and Bessie the cow is out there in the meadow and the little boys and girls are running around barefooted. Bullshit. It's all bullshit. You know what? The kids, the kids, half of them died. Half of the little kids died because they didn't have proper health care. They were using out houses <laughs> paul paul dropped over dead out there in a hot having a stroke one day because he was trying to hoe weeds to make sure that he actually got a crop put in and ma probably died having childbirth the old glory days of the it's all it's all bullshit anyway sorry i went off he, 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 he got me right where i'm going so yes it's a romanticized vision that was never real i saw animal mistreatment 20 times worse when I was a little boy than I would ever see today because this idea that these small farms were somehow more humane farms is not true. I saw cattle being mistreated. I saw health care of the animals, you know, herd health. The guy that rents my farm is a 1,900-cow dairy producer. Those cows are in amazing condition because of veterinarian uh, on call, and they have herdsmen on staff, and they have protocols in place. So, yes, I agree with you on that. So you, you explain that. Now, does that fall on deaf ears, or do you need to start screaming and yelling and using swear words like I do? Well, and you know, we generally can accompany it with a slideshow or whatever, and we can do some side-by-sides that, hey, it's the wind chill in South Dakota is 25 degrees below zero right now, but yeah. these 
pigs are in an optimal environment of 78 degrees for a 25 day old pig with Mm -hmm. x amount of humidity and you know we feed them like olympic champions we know exactly the nutrient density and all the ingredients that they need to have versus like you say gramps had them you know in a they were nestled down into a hay pile and kind of foraging for their dear life on a day like that you know yeah it's amazing isn't it okay so we've decided what it does it gets better it gets worse etc etc uh your last thoughts where are we going leah what's 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 what do you got for me give me some future families feeding families you're doing good work uh the business of agriculture you're a young person we're talking about advocacy on our part but also the anti-crowd that's a business working against us where where what else do you see looking forward i think we need to keep getting young people like myself involved and there are a few young people in our group, and there's more stepping up. So I think future, that's a good thing to look forward to is the young people coming in because without young people, no offense, Jim, we're not going to be able to keep going and reaching out to more and more counties that are going to start to go through the same stuff in our area. I think that uh, what we just said, that it's become everything, and there's a lot of folks in our industry that don't realize, again, that it's essentially a fundraising business model for these cause groups, and they know that it's something they can th- throw the grenade and then profit from it, and, and uh, you know, it's not just on the animal agriculture, it's on everything we do in crops. It's also even on the specialty crops because then it becomes how do we treat the workers? Well, you know, I'm all about treating, uh, you know, workers uh, fairly and paying them and on all that. And, you know, Cesar Chavez and his movement back 50 years ago for workers' rights, that was all good stuff because we should not be, you know, breaking these people's backs and, uh, you know, and mistreating them. However, it becomes that you're never going to be right. And that's one big point that I always make is we think we appease All we do is just continue to cave, and then it just becomes the next target. Because if your business, I'm not being mean, the worst thing that could ever happen to the American Cancer Society would be that we cure cancer. Because what are those thousands of people that are employed through the American Cancer Society going to do when they no longer have the cause? And we need to think that way about Environmental Working Group or Humane Society or PETA or any of these others, Dakota Rural uh, Action Committee. Jim, closing thoughts from you. Um, yeah, I mean, think, you think ag has changed a lot in the last 10 years. I mean, it's going to change a lot more. And I mean, if we don't get this economy cooking again here, the consolidation that's going to go on in agriculture is going to be pretty alarming to a lot of folks. But I will tip my cap to the young lady here. If you do need to recharge your batteries, get into a university and like visit. Like I've had the chance to visit with the SDSU Swine Club. And you talk about a bunch of young people that are so much better prepared yeah. at that age to address a lot of challenges than I ever was at that age. I mean, it's it's pretty exciting to see that energy and, and that talent that's out there. I would agree with you. In my speaking engagements and working with uh, ag youth groups or ag young, you know, young producers, um, you thought you were supposed to be a really good producer, and you are, and run the business like a business. Some of our people at our age thought that it was just supposed to be go out and drive your tractor. You know, you understood production and run it like a business. They seem to understand, Leah's generation, business, productivity, production, also the promotion and the outreach part of it. So I, I'd agree with that. That's the social media aspect of uh, the under 30 crowd. All right. Hey, his name's Jim Petrick. Uh, her name's Leah Bunkers. Uh, you guys are active on social media. If somebody wants to look you up or ask you a question, how do they find you? I'm at Petrick Farms. P-E-T-R-I-K. P-E-T-R-I-K, PetrickFarms.com? 
Petrick Farms on Facebook. Petrick Farms, look them up on Facebook. How do they find you, Leah? Facebook as well, just under my name. Leah Bunkers, look her up. You know what? I'm really glad they came in here. So we're about uh, we're about an hour away from showtime for me. I better get this thing wrapped up. I really appreciate you tuning in. Remember, the business of agriculture is on all the places where you find your audio to uh, podcast, but it's also a video now on my YouTube channel. I'd like you to subscribe. The more subscriptions I get, the more visibility we get, which will help more people see this, and more people do need to see it. Just go to the Damian Mason channel on YouTube. I've got a special offer that I've been putting out. We just accomplished our first one this week. It's called the Business of Agriculture Success Group. Business of Agriculture Success Group is a, uh, a business uh, outlook, advisory, and networking community for ag professionals, and it's only $49 for the first month to join. It's a small group. We get interactive, and we go really deep on some topics. So if this is of interest to you, go ahead and just go to DamianMason.com, and you can sign up for it or you can send me an email and i'll explain it to you this episode was brought to you by harvest profit and i told you already about harvest profit it's a software solution for your agricultural enterprise check out harvestprofit.com and my friend nick horb on linkedin and uh you can see some of the great content he puts out there thanks for being here jim thanks for being here leah thanks for having us until next time it's the business of agriculture If you've enjoyed this episode of The Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.